I want to thank our sponsors, Athletic Greens, who created AG1, one of the most innovative packets of supplements, including 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. These ingredients support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy recovery, focus, and aging. I personally started using Athletic Greens and love the way I feel in the morning after I drink it. And I no longer have energy crashes throughout the day. And the best part is that it's delicious. The founder of Athletic Greens created AG1 because he experienced a ton of gut health and ended up on a complicated and expensive supplement routine to recover. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash yasmine. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash yasmine, Y-A-S-M-E-E-N, to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Hi, my name is Yasmine Terehi, and this is Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness, well-being, and spirituality. On today's episode, we'll be speaking with Mark Nepo, a poet and spiritual advisor who has taught in the fields of poetry and spirituality for over 40 years. And with over a million copies sold, Mark has actually moved and inspired so many readers and seekers all over the world with his number one New York Times bestseller, The Book of Awakening. And just for good measure, I actually opened up The Book of Awakening today and uh, found this incredible quote from Antonio Machado, which really spoke to me. It's been my quote that I've used for a very long time. It was something to the effect of, uh, traveler, there is no path. Uh, You make the path by walking. And so it's just a gem of a book for those of you who have not read it before. And his 23rd book, which is Surviving Storms, Finding the Strength to Meet Adversity, is available soon. So check that out um, wherever books are sold. All right. Welcome to the show, Mark. No, thank you. It's great to be with you. So, Mark, just to kick it off, what does it mean to be fully alive to you? Well, that's that's a wonderful opening question. We could spend forever talking about that. You know, I would say that uh, for me, it is being wholehearted, holding nothing back, and giving my all to whatever is before me, which involves being kind and useful. And, and so let me also then say that the journey of being human is that we can never do that all the time, though I'm committed to it all the time. But being human, um, your medieval monks, when asked how they practice their faith, said by falling down and getting up. And I, I understand that. That makes a lot of sense to me. So, you know, I can be clear with you and then we'll get off this call and I'll be confused or I can be sensitive and then be awkward or I can be feel peaceful and then be afraid. So I feel like the journey of being human is always a process of return 
returning to being clear when confused, to being safe when being afraid, to finding our way together, uh, though I'm committed to being as fully here as possible. Mm, that's so beautiful. And so, Mark, just to give us an example, like when you do feel different types of feelings and emotions, how do you kind of how do you kind of move from that? Well, so one of the things is that I think we're always asked to lean in. By that I mean, again, being present and giving our full being attention. So when I'm afraid, you know, fear and pain and anxiety and 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 the difficult things in life always say hello by by pushing us back pushing us back and then we in surprise tighten that's just a very human reflex well when i tighten when i get small when i um uh am pushed back that's when i need to lean in that's when i I need to open when i'm closed I need to listen when I'm stubborn. So, you know, when I get afraid, I have to breathe and lean forward, lean right back in. You know, when when I was young, I have a dear friend who's visiting me tomorrow from Florida. And when we were young, we've known each other our whole lives. And he was a rock climber and, um, you know, with ropes and pitons. And, and I'm not a rock climber, but I wanted to... I just wanted to experience it once in a simple way, not too difficult. And um, and so he took me out. We were in our 20s. And um, uh, so, my God, that's I'm 71. So that's like 50 years ago. So but so we were out and he roped me in and he climbed this very easy wall about 30, 40 feet. And I was behind him and he said to me, you know, just you have to keep going even if you fall so of course i did fall and the rope grabbed me and i'm hanging there and i kind of skinned up my knees and my arms but there was no place to go but over where i fell and that has stayed with me all these years that's what i mean about leaning back in is when we fall we have to get up and go almost always right back into where we fell and and what happened uh to us and and oh go ahead oh no go ahead well i was going to share a story uh also as well uh which is an ancient hindu teaching story i love these anonymous ancient stories hundreds of years old and this is about fear and pain and how they say hello and and how we're all challenged to lean in, and what does that mean? So there's a master and an apprentice, always. And so the in this story, the master, the truth is he's really annoyed by the apprentice because the apprentice, all he does is complain, complain, complain. So the master says to the apprentice, I want you to get a handful of salt, put it in a glass of water, and bring it to me quietly. So the apprentice does it, and the master says, drink. So he drinks from the glass, and he spits it out. Master says, what's the matter? And he says, oh, it's bitter. So the master says, okay, I want you to get the same exact amount of salt, put it in your cupped hands, and follow me quietly. 
So he does. He leads the, so the you know, apprentice has the salt in his hands, and the master leads him to a lake, and he says, okay, put the salt in the lake, which he does. He says, now drink. So he kneels down, the apprentice, and he scoops up some water, and it dribbles down his chin, and the master says, well, and he says, oh, it's fresh. And the master looks at the apprentice and he says, stop being a glass, become a lake. Mm, wow. <laughs> <laughs> stop being a glass, become a lake. And, and, and why I turned to that story and what we just opened with is because everyone gets, and this is wonderful, it's so anonymous and ancient, everyone gets their handful of salt. Everyone who's ever lived. That's pain and fear. Sometimes it comes in clumps. Sometimes it's a grain at a time. But no one is exempt. And when we're faced, so we can't eliminate pain and fear, but we can right-size it. And how do we do that? Well, the story tells us by enlarging our sense of things. So when we are met by fear and pain, you know, we might say, oh, hear that story and go, oh, well, it's not good to be a glass. I won't do it. Well, sure. Yes, you will. And I will, too, because we're human. But what, but what we can do is when pain and fear say hello, we tighten up. We become a glass. That's natural. But we don't have to stay that way. So the question becomes, what's in your toolbox so that when you're met with fear and pain, you can enlarge your sense of things and right-size it. So that's leaning back in. That's, you know, what do you do? Do you listen to a piece of music that opens your heart? Do you read something that touches you that you think is sacred? Do you call up a dear friend? Do you go for a walk in nature? What are, what are the things available to you? And if we don't do that, well, then what the story tells us is if we stay small, we'll also get bitter. Oh, wow. I love that so much. And so, Mark, I'd like to talk about your journey in becoming the lake. And in your 30s, you were diagnosed with this rare form of lymphoma. Uh, can you talk to us about your journey and especially your journey of recovery? And, and how did you kind of move through that? Well, sure. So... And that, that was a big part of my enlarging my sense of things. So, you know, just to set kind of who I was back then. And, you know, I've always been kind of heart-centered. But I was just, back in, in my early 30s, I was more of a driven young artist. And I was, even though I was heart-centered, I was more in my head than in my heart. And all of a sudden, you know, I was, t I was just beginning to teach at Albany University. And... Um, and there I was, all of a sudden, I was, you know, uh, with a rare form of lymphoma. And I'd never been through anything really life-threatening or serious up to that point. And, um, and you know, I was terrified of everything. And I, I, I you know, it was a, such a challenge to go through all that. And, and a couple of things happened in that journey. First, I, I was turned inside out and upside down. And through no wisdom on my part, but, but, you know, through that journey, I had to learn to trust my heart. I had to learn uh, how to, to be more deeply authentic, because that was the only way I was going to get through it. 
And so one of the things that happened during that journey, which was a three, the heat of it was a three year journey in which I almost died and, and had very difficult treatment, had, had surgeries and had chemo that was, that almost killed me. And, um, but what, one of the things that happened is my heart, uh, everything dropped further down from my head into my heart. And from that being blessed to still be here on the other side, ever since uh, my mind has served my heart and not the other way around. The other thing that was really, really changed all of the, the course of my work and inquiry and teaching and learning was that, you know, I'm, I'm Jewish and I was raised Jewish and I have a deep tie to the Jewish heritage. But during that time, I was blessed to have people of all traditions, formal and informal, including even, you know, atheists and scientists and people of different indigenous paths, um, offer me some kind of blessing, some kind of help that once I, I made it to the other side, I was not, and all these years later, am still not wise enough to know what worked and what didn't. And so I feel like I was challenged to believe in everything. And ever since then, I've been a student of all paths. And all my work, all my books, all my teachings, all the ways in which I stay in conversation with others is all about kind of affirming what I feel is the common center of all paths while lifting the unique gifts of each. And so that that's really changed everything. What about the book uh, of Awakening? What inspired you to write the book? And how did you decide which kind of nuggets of wisdom should exist in this book? Well, that was, you know, I, I also in my life, you know, on the other side of that cancer journey, I was in my mid-30s, maybe 33, 34. And I really was looking for a way to give back, a way to provide something that might be helpful. And I, and I had then, and still now I have a lot of people in my life. I'm, I'm not, um, uh, an alcoholic or an addict, but I have a lot of people in my life who are in program, who are, um, either children of addicts or alcoholics, or my dearest, oldest friend is like 40 years in recovery as a, as an alcoholic who helped save my life back then. We helped save each other's lives. And, um, and so I had discovered, you know, in that world back then, I mean, the, the big book was, um, one of Melody Beatty's books on, uh, codependence and, uh, on, on addiction. And it was a day book. And so I started to see other day books. And in that world, those books are used. I mean, they're beat up, their pages are turned, torn, written on, they're in bathrooms and cars and, you know, everywhere. And so I started to say, see that, like, wow, here's a form where maybe I could fill this form and, and create a book that would have small doses of what matter. And so then the way I've started to go about it, because, you know, you think, or, you know, I thought back then that, well, it's a day book. So like each entry isn't that big. Right. But there's 365 of them. So it's huge. Um, so I started and, and the way I started was I was teaching at Albany University. And as a teacher, you know, I had all kinds of 
folders with quotes from literature and different traditions. And I also had, so I had a list of all these kind of quotes and I had a list of all these, a separate little kind of bucket, if you will, of, of stories and metaphors and, and questions to pursue. And so I just started to kind of like, um, I, I'd grab a pair and then I'd kind of be with it. And then I'd start, you know, I'd work on, they'd kind of come in batches, four or five at a time. And so then slowly I wound up drafting the entire book. And then I went back and did, because each one has a meditation or a reflection or an invitation um, to actually kind of somehow actualize what's brought up. Then I went back and did all of those. And then I went back and said, if this is a journey, you know, my wife Susan and I were just starting out together back then. And she bought me a, one of these large erasable year calendars. And I was, we were living, I was living in an apartment in Albany, New York at the time. And we tacked it up on the wall. And then it took me, I just like looked at these and I just started placing them across the year. Like you can certainly open the book and look at it anywhere. But if you were to read it a day at a time, what kind of journey would it offer? And so I started like piecing the puzzle back together. So that took about three years to put the whole thing together. Wow. So powerful. I love that. And I love, I love the process of just the collection of quotes and stories and metaphors and questions to pursue and, and how that all came together. And it's, it's interesting. I think when you put together such a, a big body of work. Um, it's it's the small kind of moments as a writer, right? That that really, uh, I think maybe you, you probably are not aware of where it's going at the time. So I, I love that so much. And I, um, I agree, the day books are so powerful for just these short accessible moments um, and stories for us to connect with ourselves. And and um, yeah, I really appreciate that book. And I'd love to talk a little bit about your new book, uh, Surviving Storms, which feels very appropriate <laughs> with the, the time that we've been in, um, in the post-pandemic world now, or I guess coming out of the pandemic. Uh, it feels like it's over, but also not over. Um, why did you write your book, Surviving Storms? Each book, I mean, and let me just say in general, before I, I kind of focus on, on that, that, you know, for me, I feel like I retrieve the books. I feel like an inner explorer and I retrieve the books and then and then try to shape them and put them into words that are really helpful or useful in some way. And And so every, you know, looking back, I can see some kind of uh, some kind of journey or path, but certainly going forward, it, it, it was always unclear each book. What, you know, I just followed what I write about what I need to learn. And the book is just a trail of that inquiry. And one of the reasons I'm prolific is that I've learned to get out of the way because writing at its depth is really listening and taking notes. And, because I write about what I don't know, there's a lot I don't know. <laughs> and um, if I'd only written about what I know, I would have written very little. And so in that context of this book about surviving storms, you know, I found myself teaching and, and this bridge from the before the pandemic into the beginning of the pandemic. 
And I found myself really exploring and teaching about about storms and about how we and the metaphor that's kind of central to the whole book is um, one of of the redwood trees out in California, which I think you probably know very well. And um, and, you know, my God, they're enormous. You know, I mean, some are there are some are like a thousand years old and they're hundreds of feet high and they're 20. They can be 20, 30 feet in diameter. And even with climate change. I doubt if a redwood could be uprooted. It might be damaged in a storm, but not uprooted. And why? Because the roots are strong, the trunks are wide, and actually in redwood forests, the, the roots are connected, they're interrelated. And so the metaphor is that this is why we need each other and why we need a spiritual practice. What, However you you define it so that our roots are strong, connected, and our trunks are wide so we can endure the storms of our time. And so what I've tried to do with the book, because I think also in our modern world, globally, we're in a really difficult space. There's a lot of stridency, a lot of antagonism, a lot of not listening, a lot of shouting, a lot of violence. And you know, I do believe in the human journey and in the human heart and in kindness. And I think every generation has had its turn and this is ours. Will we choose love over fear? Will we listen over shouting? Will we heal each other instead of wound each other? And and so what I try to do in the first part of the book, and I don't I don't have any answers. I'm just sharing my guesses at things. But I the first part of the book try I try to make my own kind of diagnosis as how did how did we get here this time what what and we can talk about that if you like you know what what are what are the different fault lines what are the different things that have happened in the last actually couple of hundred years that have created this perfect storm of culture where we're not hearing each other we're not seeing each other and then the rest of the book draws on all the traditions and all the tools that are still available to us. They're not abstract, that are available to us to help us heal this time and to survive the storms of our time. So I'll just share one other thing and, and, and then uh, stop there, but because it connects my cancer journey to the pandemic. And I know that other people who've gone through life-threatening things have felt it, I, I have felt this too. I was surprised in the beginning of the pandemic how my journey was coming back to me in a lot of like memories and felt ways. And one in particular was the day I was diagnosed. I went to a doctor, and in that appointment, he told me I had a rare form of lymphoma, and I was scared. And I said, well, you, you got to have the wrong folder. Can you double check? Isn't it somebody else? And, um, and of course, it was me. But the door I had come through to keep that appointment that day when I left was gone. There was no way back to life before that appointment as I knew it. And I think that the pandemic has done that for humanity. The old world is gone. In fact, that's the title of the first chapter of the new book. And uh, though we resist it and we're angry about it or we want to deny it, the old world is gone. And the only way forward is to love each other forward.
Wow. I love that. It's a beautiful um, analogy. And I, I completely agree. I think, I think in many ways, people have all changed so much during the pandemic and, and after the pandemic. And I think um, it's just noticeable in, in groups. I sort of notice the subtle changes that I see um, a couple of years ago versus, versus this year. So, oh, wow. I, I, you know, it must be also just incredible to go through that journey of being diagnosed with a rare form of lymphoma and then healing from it and then going on to live such an incredible life. Um, can you talk to us about like what inspires you? Oh sure, you know, I mean, I, 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 th I think it's very uh, simple. It's, it's, it's the recurring wonder of how rare it is to be here at all. You know, as a young artist, and 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 all artists and writers are taught this. You know, we're kind of taught to, and I remember being taught this to be on the look for good material. You know, things worth writing about. Oh, there's a good story. Oh, that's a good idea. You know, and one of the humbling things that happened to me for almost dying, I was scoured of so much that I was. I was here in a raw state on the other side, and I was given the lens of the miraculous. That is the ability to, when I'm awake and when I'm leaning in and when I'm present, to see the extraordinary in the ordinary. So everything is worth writing about. If it doesn't seem it, it means I'm tired or I'm exhausted or I'm blocked or I'm numb or I can't see right now and I got to clean my lens. But everything is miraculous. And therefore, that's what's inspiring is that, my God, for all, I mean, I love technology, but for all the ways we can record and play back and do this and do that. This moment has never happened before. This moment is unrepeatable. And when I can remember that in a felt way, oh my God, everything is, is just a teacher. You know, in the Hindu tradition, also there's a word, Upa Guru. It means the teacher that is next to you at this moment. And there's always a teacher next to you at this moment, if, if we can lean in and learn. So here's here's a story, a Buddhist story about from the life of Buddha. And Buddha was teaching, and one of his students interrupted him and said, "Well, how rare is it to be born in human form?" And Buddha said, "Well, imagine a giant sea turtle at the bottom of the ocean, and it wakes, and it drifts its way, paddles its way up to the surface. It breaks surface. It looks around, and it swims back to the bottom and goes as." falls asleep a second time. And Buddha said, the odds of that turtle waking a second time and breaking surface in the same exact spot, that's how rare it is to be born in human form. And so we're challenged. One of the things I mentioned earlier about we're challenged to lean back in, to be a, a lake and not a glass. And, and to remember, one of the challenges is 
how do we, you know, because we get up, we get into the day and thing, we fall down or we spill the garbage or we break a glass or the car runs out of gas and all these things happen and we forget how rare it is to be here. And our challenge is through love and suffering to continually remember and feel how rare it is to be alive at all because not only is it wondrous, but that recognition cleans our eyes, our ears, our mind, and our heart. And now we see, hear, and feel differently. And then with that kind of clean perception, we make different decisions. Mm, that's beautiful. What do you say to people who are you know, going through mild depression or who might have lost a lot of loved ones or is kind of going through a really difficult time right now, what would be your advice to someone who's feeling like down and out? I mean, I think also just with the rise in suicide, um, you know, it's interesting how much you fought so hard to be here and to cherish every moment and how some people who, you know, might have their health, for example, um, are, are trying to exit. Um, so I'm just curious, like, well, what, what conversations have you had with people well, who are first, really suffering? Yeah. And the first thing is when I share this wonder, that is not to say I don't have those moments. We all have those moments because being human. So the first thing is to acknowledge that the human journey, it is through the life of feelings that we can access spirit most deeply. And that means we will feel the thousand moods of being human. We will all feel depressed. We will all feel confused. We'll all feel hurt. And I think the challenge for every one of us, I, I think that life has been made just difficult enough that we need each other mm. to ensure the journey of love. And so the first thing is compassion and not judgment. The first thing I encourage everyone, including myself, I have to remember, you know, I'm I, I, I'm fooled with wonder today as we're talking because you're asking me these questions, but I'll I'll be afraid tomorrow or next week or I'll have my dips in mood or I'll experience pain or or forget how clear things are. And so I think one of the things for everyone is to encourage each other which means encourage means to help lift the courage that's in each other. That's what encourage means. So to encourage each other, to remember that life is a, the wheel of life never stops, you know, and, and, and being depressed, being locked in pain, those moments kind of freeze us or try to, we feel like the wheel of life has stopped on the bottom. It hasn't stopped and we have to allow it to continue. And, and it, you know, and so, you know, Rilke, the great, the great German poet, Rainer Maria Rilke, he said, he said, let everything happen, beauty and terror. No one feeling is final. Keep going. No one feeling is final. And we have to have compassion for ourselves and each other so that, you know, I think one of the greatest teachers for me at this point in my life is this mysterious paradox that all things are true. 
all things aren't fair, all things aren't just, but all things are true. So when I'm depressed, you know, and, and I try to understand it this way. So we all know what rainy days are like. We all know when the cloud cover is so thick you don't see the sun. Well, being wet and cold under the cloud cover is real. And the sun hasn't stopped shining above the clouds. And so we're challenged to remember both, always. Not, ref not say, oh, well, because the sun hasn't stopped shining, that means like what I'm going through is insignificant. No, it's very significant. But the other side is true, too, is that we tend as human beings, all of us, me too, when we're going through something, especially something difficult, we tend to make what we're going through our whole understanding of life. And I can speak to this from when I went through my cancer journey that, you know, when when we're broken, we then tend to say, oh, well, the world's a broken place. When we're afraid, we say, oh, man, the world, the world's a fearful place. You know, when we feel like we've been uh, our trust has been betrayed. Well, life is not trustworthy. And our challenge is to admit the truth of what we're going through. But life is bigger than any one experience. And so, you know, if I'm on a raft out at sea and a giant wave sweeps over me and smashing my raft, that's going to make it very difficult for me. That's real. That also does not minimize the majesty of the sea. Both things are true. So, you know, when I was going through my cancer journey, I had a very difficult, profound moment. I, my first, I was three weeks after I had a rib removed from my back. I had my first chemo treatment in New York City, and it was horribly botched. And so I was in a Holiday Inn after having this chemo, and all I was given in case I got nauseous was oral medicine, which I couldn't keep down. And there I was with my former wife and my dear, actually the friend who's visiting me uh, tomorrow, <laughs> uh, Paul, 40 years ago, was there. And, and, and I started getting sick, which was really difficult because I had a, a rib that had just been removed from my back. So the scar on my back was very painful. And I kept getting sick every like 20, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. And eventually we had to go to the, the ER, but, you know, it was like, well, this can't keep continuing, like, you know. And so there we were, um, again, disoriented, terrified, in pain, not sure what was going to happen next. And not through any wisdom on my part, but because I was exhausted. So there I am in this Holiday Inn, on, in a corner, uh, my elbows on my knees, my head in my hand. And all of a sudden, the sun's starting to come up. And because I was exhausted, what was going on with me was real. But I had this sudden awareness that somewhere nearby, a baby was being born. And somewhere nearby, a couple was making love for the first time. And somewhere else, uh, an estranged father or mother and an adult child were sitting down and having coffee for the first time in years. 
And I realized for the first time that to be broken is no reason to see all things as broken. That all those things were happening at once. And and so I've come to understand to try that was such a great moment for me that I've taken years to understand what happened in that moment. And I think one of the things that happened is I realize now that, you know, when I am in pain, I need the company of those who know what it's like to be in pain. But I need I need unbroken life to heal. When I am afraid, I need the company of those who know what it's like to be afraid. But I need the peaceful wholeness of life to heal. And so I, while it's understandable that I would try to make all of life what I'm going through, I actually need life, the diversity of life to heal. And so when we're depressed or when we're in pain or when we're in despair, for the moment it clouds everything. And our challenge is, if we can't do it, reach out to another to say, remind me that it's more than this. Remind me that it won't stay this way. You know, one of the, you know, in the Buddhist tradition, of course, one of the great lessons is the lesson of impermanence, which we all take, oh, we're all going to die sometime, you know. But, But impermanence within a life means Nothing stays the same, including our pain and despair and depression. Everything will keep changing. And if I can't kind of hold on to that alone, then I need to reach out to you. And do you, I mean, do you feel that people are equipped to handle the suffering of others? Because I've, you know, had a couple guests on the show talk about this, that a lot of times you know, we look to our community for help and support and it feels, you know, anecdotally, I you could just share that this is what people have shared with me, that, that people often don't feel that their communities can hold their kind of sadness and depression, you know, which is, which is, which is difficult, right? So, um, well, this is, this is, yeah. So this is very, very, I feel very important. It is through um, Valerie Carr, K-A-U-R. I don't know if you know her work. She's a young, probably maybe um, she's of your generation, I think. I'm not sure what, yeah, I know you're younger than me. And um, she's a marvelous young old soul. So actually I'd encourage you to interview her too, if you get a chance. And in her first book, uh, which she's written now, she has a wonderful line in there, a sentence that I love. She says, you know, you don't need to know people to grieve with them. You grieve with them to know them. And I think that the challenge of the human journey, and we live in a modern world, it's always been this way, but it's accentuated. You know, that, that people don't show up for other people because they're afraid. And it's... It's showing up for each other that allows us to form bonds that will last a lifetime. You know, the friend who's coming tomorrow, who I've known for 40 years, you know, when I was in that Holiday Inn throwing up, he was holding me over that toilet. He was afraid, but he didn't go anywhere. 
And because he said he was afraid, but he didn't go anywhere, we became like brothers. And now he last year, he lost his wife suddenly. She died of a heart attack and he's been devastated. And I'm, I want to be there and I am there for him because he was so there for me. And it's brought us, even after all these years, even closer. So the challenge is always communities are not showing up or holding. Well, one thing is, if people aren't showing up, we are all uh, friends disguised as strangers. So if someone isn't showing up, then, then I have to say help in another direction. I got to go somewhere else. And this is where, you know, one of the, the things in the modern world is we all have too many preferences. So we have requirements about what, what movies we'll see or where we'll go to eat or preferences for what will make a good friend or a good partner or, you know, and the truth is, you know, you don't interview ambulance drivers. You take the first one that comes along. And so if you're lonely or the people who you thought would be there for you are not there, you go out and say, help. And you find that whoever shows up is your friend. And this is another challenge for all of us in the mod, because in the modern world, we are in such bubbles. We are so insulated first by technology and then secondly, by the pandemic made it worse, that we got to take risks to break out and say, hello, <laughs> and say, oh, hi, who are you? I'm hurting. Are you? Oh, yeah, me too. So, okay, we can help each other. Um, so, Mark, can we talk a little bit about... Um maybe some of your favorite poetry that you have created or perhaps have been inspired by. Maybe you could share with us like one piece of poetry or a quote um, that really resonated with you and why. Oh, sure, sure. So, so let me share a poem of mine. And I feel like the poems for me, the poems that come to me are teachers. I, I don't, I'd say at least half the time or more, I feel them. I feel how true they are, but I have to live with them to understand what they mean. I don't always know what they mean. Um, so one one poem here, this is a sure short poem of mine that has been a great teacher for me. And then I'll share a quote from another a poet uh, that, that's been a teacher for me too. But it's, a, it's just one stanza and it goes like this. The mystery is that whoever shows up when we dare to give, has exactly what we need hidden in their trouble. The mystery is that whoever shows up when we dare to give has exactly what we need hidden in their trouble. And that's been a great teacher for me in that, you know, often when I've been called to give, or I think I'm going to help somebody else, humbly, a lot of the times I trip in route to helping them and, and they wind up helping me or in their trouble is a lesson 
that's been waiting for me. It's not just one way. And until I dare to give, I don't discover the next, the next step in my own journey. And the other, you know, um, the other quote, and, and well, there's a poet, uh, a contemporary poet, Naomi Shihab Nye, who is a fantastic poet. I would also encourage you to maybe look at her poetry and interview her. She's just a remarkable woman. Um, and she has a, a like a, a contemporary poem, a legendary poem called Kindness. It's just beautiful. It's long. I can't recite it right here. Rather, like a page or two. But the other, but E.E. E. Cummings, maybe you've heard of E.E. E. Cummings in the last century. He was a remarkable poet. And there's a couplet in a line of his that's been a great, uh, I, I used to teach. He, he had these two lines. He said, I'd rather learn from one bird how to sing than teach 10,000 stars how not to dance. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? I'd rather learn from one bird how to sing than teach 10,000 stars how not to dance. And as you look at that, I use that in teaching, not about poetry, but about living, because as you look at that, it, it telescopes as you, and I'll take this out with you very quickly, it telescopes a real a guide about how to learn. Because it says, I'd rather learn how to than teach how not to. I'd rather learn how to teach one than, I'd rather learn, yes, how to teach one than to teach 10,000 not to. So it's all about saying yes to life rather than saying no to life. And I'd rather learn how to teach one bird than, than to teach 10,000 stars. Well, a bird is a living thing. Stars, as beautiful as they are, are inanimate. So it's all about saying yes to life and staying among the living and teaching how to rather than how not to. It's beautiful. Beautiful. I love that. Wow. Oh, Mark, thank you so much. And what has been something that has surprised you the most on your journey, looking back? Oh, you know, the thing that has surprised me the most repeatedly is that heaven is right here. Is that, the, you know, I, you know, one of the paradox, humbling paradoxes is I literally am privileged to teach all over the world. And everywhere I go, when I get there, my job is to affirm that there's nowhere to go. <laughs> <laughs> that there is no there, there's only here. Certainly we travel vast distances to be together on the surface. But once we're together like this, like in this conversation, we open up the same eternal moment. So heaven is here when we can open our hearts and be here completely. And... And so there is no there. There's only here. And that, let me say this, that, that that's one of the things that plagues, I think, a lot of our modern world. Is, I mean, even, you know, there's this anachronism, this uh, uh, kind of saying, you know, the FOMO, fear of missing out. Well, the menacing assumption is that life is other than where we are. But great love and great suffering remind us 
It's always right here. So life isn't a journey. And this has been the surprise reminder to me over and over again. Life isn't a journey from here to there. Life is a journey from in to out. Beautiful. Wow. That's a really important thing to note, I think, for all of us that are sort of striving towards something. Um, Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, And where can people find you, Mark? Uh, You've obviously written so many books. You've been interviewed by Oprah. (laughs) You teach all over the world. But where's the best place to find you and where can we find all your books? Oh, well, thank you. So um, there's uh, a couple of websites. There's marknepo.com. And that and threeintentions.com and both will have where I teach and speak and um, and all my books can be found in bookstores or on Amazon or, or on my websites and live.marknepo.com is another uh, web page where all of my online webinars are offered. Amazing. And we'll leave the links in the show notes so that people can find it. Um, so thank you so much for your time, Mark. This is so lovely and you're so inspiring. And I just, uh, I'm excited to dive into some of your other books. Um, I have the book of awakening on my coffee table (laughs) myself. So (laughs) thank you so much. And for our audience, thanks for joining and for listening in this episode. We learn about surviving storms and how fear is a deeper teacher with Mark Nepo and You can tune into Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness, well-being, and spirituality. Thanks again.